Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, gooby treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash itself. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra premium formula for moms who will not settle when it comes to their little ones. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with simple quality ingredients, no artificial dyes or preservatives, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Head to amazon.com or walmart.com to grab Dr. Mom Butt Balm because nothing comes between you and your baby, especially not diaper rash. As an OBGYN and podcast host, I'm excited to share a resource that empowers mothers and mothers-to-be in managing their pelvic floor and core health. It's called Informed Pregnancy Plus, and it offers access to essential workshops that can significantly enhance your understanding and care of your body during and after pregnancy. Discover the Core Connection, a foundational five-episode series by Natalie Headings, a pre-postnatal exercise specialist. This series covers the basics of pelvic floor health, teaches key postural adjustments, and shows you how to activate your core properly. For a more comprehensive experience, check out Mindful Movement. This premium series provides in-depth content, including practical exercises and personalized strategies to strengthen your body. It's like having a pelvic health expert in your home. You can try the full subscription streaming library of Informed Pregnancy Plus absolutely free. Visit informedpregnancy.tv to start an empowered journey toward a healthier motherhood. Take this step for your health, your body, and your baby will thank you. This is a personal episode. Today, I'm telling you all about me and my journey to getting to where I am today. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN physician, certified integrative health coach, and creator of the Birth Preparation Course, an online childbirth education class that will leave you feeling knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice. See the full disclaimer at ncrcoaching.com forward slash disclaimer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, episode number 25 to be exact. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now, the podcast recently crossed 10,000 downloads. As a matter of fact, we're a bit closer to 13,000 now, so thank you, Thank you for your support. And I thought with that milestone that it would be a nice time to kind of pause and reflect and share with you how I got to be to this point. This is certainly not where I thought I was going to be in my career and in my life. And um, I figured it'd just be nice to kind of share a little bit of my story. So let's go ahead and hop right in. Now, I debated how far to go back, and I decided, you know, if I'm going to tell it, I might as well go ahead and tell it. So let's take it all the way back to growing up. I grew up in a very loving household. I had a happy childhood, for sure. My parents have been married for 56 years. They still live in the same house where I grew up. You know, no childhood is perfect, but I really have no complaints My mom uh, was a math teacher. She taught math for 50 years, uh, 35 years in public school and another 15 or so in community college and at the college level. 
my dad was just a hardworking guy. He didn't finish college, but he worked really hard. You know, I learned a lot about my work ethic from him. He worked his way up at UPS into a managerial position and then took an early retirement option from there. I have two sisters. One is 10 years older than me. She unfortunately passed away nine years ago from a rare type of ovarian cancer. And then my other sister is 14 months younger than me, and she works in special education. And again, like I said, happy childhood, no complaints. And it certainly set the foundation for me to get a great start in life. Now, fast forwarding a bit, I went to college at Spelman College in North Carolina A&T State University. I majored in mathematics and mechanical engineering, and I majored in math because I liked high school calculus. There's no other way to like really put it. I just liked high school calculus, and I was like, huh, I really like this. Maybe I'll major in math. That was really the thought process that went into my head. And then the engineering piece was because it was a dual degree program, a dual degree engineering program where you did three years for the math degree and an additional two years for the engineering degree. And it just kind of seemed like smart. Oh, it's just an extra year and I'll get another degree, an engineering degree. So that makes sense. So that's how I ended up majoring in math and mechanical engineering. Not that I had these big aspirations to be an engineer. It just, I knew I liked science and, um, and, and I liked math, so it just kind of fell into place that way. While I was in college, I spent a year studying, an academic year, studying abroad in Kenya. So between the three years I was at Spelman and the two years I was at North Carolina a and I spent an academic year in Kenya where I lived, lived with families, traveled around on my way home. I visited Egypt for about a week and then London. So that was quite the quite the experience and something that I will never quite forget. I also won't forget the meaning and value of having an experience at a historically black college and university in HBCU. There's something so uplifting about being around women, especially Spelman is an all girls school who look like you and who are doing such amazing things. It certainly helped set the foundation for be, for me being the strong and confident woman that I am today. And I will always, always be appreciative of my HBCU experience. Same thing at a and It was a little bit different because I started later there, but uh, I also created some lifelong friendships there as well, just being in that really supportive and nurturing environment and having people around you who look like you doing some fantastic things. So I decided to go to medical school shortly after I got back from Kenya. So just right around when I was starting um, A&T. And I always look back and think, you know, where people ask, like, what made you decide to go to medical school when you were majoring in math and mechanical engineering? And my story was always that, you know, when I was in Kenya, I saw some hospitals, which I did, that kind of shocked me in the sense of how things are different there. And people were kind of out in hallways and it wasn't the same level of care. So even though I did see care in a foreign country that was different, actually the truth about what really uh, prompted me to go to medical school was just that I felt pulled to it. I felt called to it. There's no other way to put it. I remember looking at myself in a mirror and seeing myself wearing a white coat. And the idea of medical school just kind of got planted and grew and grew. And it was just, it was just calling me. Literally, I was just pulled to it. So I decided to apply to medical school. It was a little bit of a tough process because I had to take some extra classes and all that kind of stuff. The MCAT gave me a teensy bit of trouble. So I didn't get into as many schools as I would have liked. So I got into two schools, got waitlisted at one, ended up going to Eastern Virginia Medical School because they gave me some money, really, and also because it was closer to home. Now, medical school was um, a pretty good experience. I, I don't have a lot of complaints there. The first year was tough. I almost failed a class, a class called histology, which has no bearing or meaning in the practice of my medicine today. It's like looking at stuff under slides, like you take samples of tissue and you look at it under slides and 
see what it looks like. It's kind of like mostly useless, I think, in terms of what I do, unless you do a, or are a pathologist. But as an OBGYN, not very useful anyway. But I guess it is good to kind of understand and have a background of those things. So that's why you do a lot of different things in medical school. So other than that first year, medical school was was pretty good. Ultimately, I graduated in the top 10%, uh, 10, 12%, somewhere like that of my class, graduated Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. For the most part, um, again, it was a good experience. I did have a couple of experiences where I felt like I was being questioned or I don't know what the right word is because of my abilities or my abilities were being questioned. I remember at the induction ceremony for Alpha Omega Alpha and one of the faculty members like repeating over and over again, you're here, like you got inducted into AOA, like you, oh my gosh, like really? Okay. And it was just obvious that he was, you know, surprised to see me there. And then I had another instance where on a rotation for internal medicine and I had an attending physician basically pull me in his office and say that I was lazy and that I needed to shape up and all this kind of stuff, which was a stark contrast to my experience on other rotations. Thankfully, the the director of the clerkship knew better and kind of stood up for me in that regard. But those experiences were a little bit disorienting in a sense. Um, it's always difficult when you have those experience to, experiences to know, is it because this person person is a jerk? Is it because they're treating me this way because I'm black? Are they treating me this way because I'm a woman? Is it both? So all of that kind of plays into to those experiences and how they 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 play out. But thankfully those those things didn't didn't set me back. I also started having hints of some of the work that I do now in terms of being an advocate for uh, reducing disparities in healthcare and that kind of thing. A friend of mine and I organized a very well-received seminar on diversity, and this was before diversity was a big thing. This was back in, this would have been 2000, I guess. So we organized this seminar on diversity, and that was just kind of the start of me dipping my toe into things to support reducing disparities in medicine. Now, it came time to decide, okay, what the heck am I going to do? I'm about to graduate from medical school. (laughs) What do you want to pursue as your career? And I debated between general surgery and OBGYN. I knew that I wanted to do something with my hands, like I like doing procedures, so surgery and OBGYN both had procedures, but I much preferred having female patients. As a matter of fact, I had a couple of bad experiences with male patients um, where like hitting on me kind of thing. Unfortunately, I think a lot of women in medicine go through that. And ultimately, I decided, you know what, OBGYN is the right field for me. I can help take care of women. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. And I actually thought starting out that I was going to be a gynecologic oncologist. A GYN oncologist is a GYN cancer specialist. They take care of women who have ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, uterine cancer, so all the female reproductive organ cancers. And I was 100% convinced that I was going to be a GYN oncologist. Now, GYN oncology is a competitive fellowship. So when it came time to apply for residency training, I applied to some of the most competitive programs. And for those of you who don't, maybe don't understand exactly how medicine works. So you go to medical school for four years. And then after you leave medical school, you do your residency training in whatever field or specialty it is that you're interested in. And the residency training, residency training programs vary in terms of length. Something like pediatrics is three years. Internal medicine is three years. OBGYN is four years. General surgery is longer, five or six years. So anyway, I was at the point where I needed to apply for residency programs. So I thought I was going to do this competitive fellowship. So I applied for some big, um, big programs. And because I had done well in medical school, I got interviews at tons of programs. I probably interviewed at 
11 or 12 residency spots, including Harvard, University of Pennsylvania, Johns Hopkins. So I was very fortunate in that regard. Now it came down to decide, okay, I've interviewed at all these places. And then what's next is something called the match where you put in the places where you want to go in the order that you want and the places put in their match list, who they want to be in their programs. And then this big system kind of matches it up. So came time to make my match list and I quickly eliminated those Northern programs because I realized that I can't do the cold weather. I am not a cold weather kind of girl. So a cold, you know, 20, 10 degrees, zero degrees anywhere wasn't for me. So I narrowed it down more so to places in the South and ultimately ended up at Duke which I absolutely love. Duke was not my first choice. I had actually chosen some place that was in a bigger city because at the time I was single and I thought that being in a bigger city would give me a better opportunity to meet someone. Alas, it was meant to be that I would be a Duke and that was really an enjoyable time for me. Don't get me wrong, residency was tough. There were times when I cried, um, where I was frustrated. My first year was still under the 120 hour a week work rule where you could work up to 120 hours a week in residency and that was considered okay. After that, it changed to 80 hours a week, which, which definitely made it a little bit better. But overall, it was a really good time at Duke. One, I was around some really smart and interesting people. And I also was where I was also around a lot of other African-American physicians and there aren't a lot of us. So it was really, again, uplifting to be in this environment. My chairman at the time was the first black chairman of the department of OBGYN at Duke and only like the fourth or fifth chairman in the history of department period. And there were also several other black male and female residents, many of whom are lifelong friends. As a matter of fact, a group of us have like a group text chat that we keep in touch with with each other. And we now try and see each other about once a year. Um, So again, it was just a really supportive environment. And I also married my husband during residency, during my chief year, December of my last year, we got married. Now, my husband and I, Falcon and I had actually dated when I was in medical school, but he broke up with me, which of course I will forever and always hold in my back pocket is something that I can pull out. But we got back together in my third year of residency, like in March, April, we started emailing each other and then dating and got engaged in July and married in December. So all in the same year, March reconnected and then December of that year got married and we're going on almost 14 years of marriage now. So that worked out very well. Now I decided not to do GYN oncology, just came to the realization that it wasn't quite for me, but I definitely felt like I wanted to stay in academic medicine. I really thought for sure that I was going to spend my career being in an academic environment. I liked being in academics where you're on the forefront of things happening and things um, changing, research, that kind of thing. So I thought for sure I was going to be in academics. So in thinking about ways to stay in academics, I decided, you know what? I like research. I, let me do this a research fellowship. I'm going to do a two-year research fellowship and then have a career combining patient care and research. So I did this two-year research fellowship just down the street at UNC Chapel Hill. And that was a little bit of a tough time for me. It was great in that it was an incredibly supportive faculty and um, students who I was in the program with. But I did become acutely aware for the first time that I was the only black person in the department. And that can feel isolating. You know, like I said, in college, I went to HBCU in med school. I had been around other black students in residency. I was in this environment with other black physicians. And at UNC, there, there weren't any. It was just me. I definitely felt a little bit of imposter syndrome. 
I felt a little bit of a lack of confidence and worry in my skills. When you're the only black person in an environment, you feel this innate pressure that you almost represent your whole race. So I was kind of dealing with all of that in the process. Not that anyone was mean to me or anything like that. As a matter of fact, everyone was supportive, but it was just kind of some of my own internal dialogue going on. This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. In addition to its patented protein blend, their formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey to casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system and makes it an easy to digest formula. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code Dr. Nicole for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Now, also during that time, I got pregnant with baby number one and um, ultimately had a preterm delivery. You can go back to episode five of the podcast to hear my birth story in, in detail. But the short story is I went into labor at 32 weeks, delivered by C-section. She also had an intestinal malformation, a rare, a rare intestinal malformation that happens in about one in... I don't know, five, 7,000 pregnancies, something called duodenal atresia. And she had to have surgery two days after she was born. She spent a month in the NICU. But again, you can go back to episode five of the podcast to hear that in more detail. She's perfectly fine and healthy now. And again, I had a lot of support when I went through that difficult time. I was also getting a master of public health in the process of while I was doing the fellowship training. And one of my fellow students, um, Millie, she's a gastroenterologist, and we had a project that was due and she was like, um, so I'm going to do most of the work on the project and that's just how it's going to be. So I will never forget Millie for that. Thank you. And then a faculty member actually drove out to my house to check on me and see how I was doing after I gave birth. So um, tough time, but it was, I was grateful to be in a supportive environment and not have to worry and be able to go see my daughter in the NICU and all of that kind of stuff. So in my fellowship, and she was born towards the end of my fellowship. So fellowship was coming towards an, to an end. And I decided that I wanted to go back to my old medical school and be on the faculty there. I enjoyed the time, like I said, in medical school, and I wanted to be back home. So I applied or wrote and asked for a job there, got it, also got some um, funding for research. So I was really excited to go back home. And it was a great environment. Again, it was good to be back near family and the faculty, the chairman was very supportive. However, I did struggle with research. And research requires that you kind of narrow down and pick a single thing and become an expert in that. And I was just having a really hard time doing that. And I just couldn't quite get started with research, couldn't quite get anything going. Now, looking back, it turns out because research wasn't the right place for me and my talents, but it took me a while to see that. It would be several more years, in fact, before I stepped away from research and kind of came to this path where I am now. Now, I did start to see some of the seeds of how I was really drawn to pregnancy. I thought about doing research on centering pregnancy, which is group prenatal care. It's a model of pregnancy where there are group visits for women who are due around about the same time. It's a great model of care. Women enjoy it and the outcomes are great, especially for low-income women. So I kind of thought about studying that or starting a program. 
And I also found that I really enjoyed being on labor and delivery with the residents and spending my day on labor and delivery and supervising and teaching them there. Now, I did find office practice challenging. I always felt like I never had enough time to actually spend with patients, hence I was chronically behind. That will actually come into play a little bit later when I talk about how I started integrative health coaching. And then also while I was there on my first job, baby number two was born. And no issues with that pregnancy. She was born totally full term. You can hear her birth story also on episode number five of the podcast. I had some issues around having a repeat C-section and the choices that I made about that. But again, episode five is where you can where you can learn all about that. So I decided or I felt like rather maybe I needed to be at a bigger place with more resources in order to help me do research. So I moved to another job and it was a nice place to be in terms of support and the people being nice. I was back in an environment though where I was the only black person and I felt that sort of pressure again. However, this time I was a bit better equipped to deal with it. Felt more confident. I'd been out a while. Um, It wasn't the first time I'd had to deal with that sort of situation. So even though I was the only one, it didn't feel like as much of a weight this time. Again, however, though, I struggled with research. I couldn't quite get research off the ground, couldn't get things going. It just, it, it felt like a chore and something that I had to do and not something that was really enjoyable. So things came to a head when I call it the blow up or the revelation in my life where I knew that I was going to have to go 100% clinical. And what I mean by that is up until that time, I'd had some what's called protected time to do research. So I had um, time that was paid for, for me to work on my research. And the way that works is that you use that time to get grants. And then once you get your grants, that grant money will cover the time for you to do your research. But I hadn't got grants. I hadn't been doing the research. So I knew that I was going to have to be 100% clinical in order to support my salary. So I went into this meeting with the department chair And of course, he told me, you know, you're going to have because you haven't been doing the research, which I was fine with. But then he said this, which literally turned me upside down, rocked my world, all this and that. And it was that it was he said this. It was recommended that you be fired. And that just literally stopped me in my tracks. And the reason that was recommended that I would be fired was because I hadn't done the research. Now, most of the time in environments, at least to my knowledge, if you don't do research, then you can be clinical. It's not necessarily the the end of the world. And it was just, it was just a big shock to hear that the, the conversation was there, that I could be fired. And, and there wasn't a concern about me being clinical. I'm a good clinician, a great clinician, I would dare to say. And I had patients who loved me, all that kind of stuff. So I was certainly still could be a value to the department in a clinical capacity. So for them to say that it was recommended that I be fired was really hard. And to add insult to injury, he said it came from one of the administrative people within the department and medical school who was a black woman, the only black woman up, you know, that higher up in that position. And that made it even harder this came from out of nowhere. It just felt like I was in some sort of topsy-turvy world. I was sitting in his office like boohooing and just really frustrated, sad, depressed, all of the above. So I left that meeting and very quickly I decided that I had to go. You know, you ain't gonna fire me because I'm a quit. Kind of my attitude flipped real quick. And I just felt like I couldn't stay in this this place that clearly didn't want me to be there. That was a really tough time for me, like a really tough time. I remember just not knowing at all what I was going to do. The girls were settled in school. Falcon was in school. We couldn't move. You know, we had moved already a couple of times and it was just starting to affect everything I was doing. I remember one morning standing at the coffee maker And I had forgotten to put the filter in and coffee was just running all over the place. And I was just standing there because I was frustrated and depressed and thinking about what I was going to do. So 
as God would have it, universe, whatever you want to call it, I went to my annual OBGYN appointment. And of course, I had been praying about this. I'm a praying person. I'm not a terribly religious person, but I am a spiritual person. So I've been praying, thinking all those kinds of things. And I went to my annual OBGYN appointment and she asked me how I was doing. And she could tell that I was not well. (laughs) And so I spit out the whole story and she said, you know what? There's an opening at the hospital for something called a hospitalist. There's a hospitalist position open. And I was like, hmm, okay. So long story short, I looked into the position as a hospitalist. This was totally different than what I thought I was going to be. Hospitalists do shift work, basically. So as a hospitalist, I come on my shift, I take care of whoever's there, and I leave. And so I was going to be doing shift work, and I was going to be stepping outside of academics. I was going to be leaving academics for a community environment. And remember, I said, you know, I had been in all these big academic places, and I thought for sure I was going to spend my career in academics. So this was really a big leap and change for me. But I had to do something because I knew I couldn't stay where I was. And I kind of sat and said, you know, which options seemed worse? Did it seem worse to stay in a place where I felt like I wasn't wanted and I wasn't happy? Or did it seem worse to try this new thing, not knowing exactly how it was going to turn out? And it felt much, much worse to stay in a place where I knew I wasn't happy. So I took the leap and became an OB hospitalist. And I absolutely, positively love, love, love being a hospitalist. And I think that's for several reasons. One, it was the first time that I was really the one hands-on doing the deliveries. Before that, I had been in academics where there were always residents and which are physicians who are learning how to be an OBGYN. There were always residents around. So I was mostly kind of supervising deliveries. But now as a hospitalist, it was me. And I was right there and, and part of that moment And that felt very gratifying and satisfying for me. And it was also my first exposure to see how things are done in a community hospital. There can be a bit of a difference between what happens in academics and in the community. Academics very much kind of plays by the book and does things according to evidence base and guidelines as kind of the foundation for academics. But In truth, most babies are born outside of an academic environment. They're born in community hospitals. And I started to see the difference of how things were practiced, how doctors were running back and forth from their office to deliver babies in the middle of seeing patients. That kind of thing didn't happen in in academics, or at least not in academic environments that I was in. I started seeing things like, depending on the doctor, some doctors had really high episiotomy rates. Some doctors were not supporting trial of labor after cesarean or VBAC. Some doctors were automatically doing C-sections for twins because it was more convenient and it didn't take as long. So I just kind of started to have my eyes opened to how the experience can be really different depending on the hospital where you go and depending on the doctor who you have during your pregnancy. Now detour a little bit. Shortly after I became a hospitalist, I went and got training as an integrative health coach. And that sparked from my desire. Remember I said that I found office practice frustrating, that I felt like I didn't have enough time to spend with patients. In many ways, I felt like a bit of a pap smear factory. And I felt like I wasn't really helping women to make changes in their lives. And I came across this integrative health coach training program. I had a former faculty member who was an OBGYN who left OBGYN in order to practice integrative medicine. So I called her up. I talked about it, what she was doing. And becoming an integrative health coach felt like a way for me to both, a way for me to add like actually helping women make change in their lives in a lasting way and more than you can do in just like an annual appointment. So I went back and did my integrative health coach training at Duke 
and they have an integrative medicine program, outstanding training, excellent training. So glad I did it. Very much so a holistic approach to health as the foundation. So not just your physical health, but also how other things affect your health, like your nutrition, how your relationships affect your health, how your actual physical environment affects your health, how the connection between your mind and your body affects your health, your spirituality or religion. How does that influence your health? How does getting rest and being able to rejuvenate yourself affect your health? So I learned this truly holistic approach to health and how you use that to live a healthy life and a a healthy lifestyle. And so I started out, I did the training and I started out wanting to do one-to-one coaching virtually. So me coach one person virtually, you know, via the phone or online. Now for a number of reasons that didn't quite work out. And a lot of it had to do with things like marketing and helping people understand the value in health coaching, because this is typically paid for out of pocket and not covered by insurance. So, and I'm not naturally good at marketing. So there was a little bit of challenges for me and difficulties with that and kind of getting one-to-one coaching off the ground. And I was on a podcast talking about health coaching and the host of the podcast asked me about delivering babies. And then afterwards she said, you know what, when you were talking about delivering babies, you lit up. Oh my gosh. You can tell that you are so passionate about what you do. And I stopped for a second and I said, you know what? passionate about delivering babies. I really do enjoy it. And it is really important for me to help women have a great experience giving birth. So I stopped for a second. I sat back and I said, hmm, how can I combine the best of this health coaching training and what I've learned from that and this great holistic approach to health and combine it with what I do in my day-to-day job in delivering babies. And I came up with this idea for an online childbirth education class and hence the birth preparation course was born. The birth preparation course is my online childbirth education class that leaves women knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into their birth. Y'all know I could talk about this all day, every day (laughs) because I'm really proud of the work I put into it. I did everything for this course. It took me almost Almost a year to make. I surveyed pregnant women before I did the course to make sure I included things that were important to them. I did all the videos. I did all the slides. I did all the editing. I put it all together. I'm super proud of it. And it's a great resource if you're looking for a childbirth education. And again, I combined that holistic approach with what I know from delivering babies. For instance, the very first lesson of the course is mindset because those types of things are really important. Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, Let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. 
So anyway, I created this great online childbirth education class, ran with that. I initially started a blog afterwards because I also wanted another way to provide ongoing information about pregnancy. The course is more so about birth, but I wanted a way to provide additional information. So I started a blog, but quickly within a few months, I changed to a podcast and that's where I am today. I created the all about pregnancy and birth podcast, which I absolutely love. And then also added the free webinar on how to make your birth plan, which is actually a tiny piece of what's in the course. So that free webinar on how to make your, your birth plan. This has been like the best decision of my life ever. I am in a place now where I absolutely positively love, love, love what I do. I am so very clear that my purpose is service. My purpose is to be of service, not just to pregnant women, which I am. I'm in service of pregnant women, both through my day-to-day work of delivering babies or helping deliver babies because women really do all the work, Um, but helping deliver babies. Um, I'm of service through this podcast, through the course, um, through the, the information that I put out on social media, being of service to pregnant women. But I'm also of service in other ways. I'm of service to the private physicians who's patients that I take care of. Um, I help them to be able to step away from the hospital and be well rested and rejuvenate and know that their patients are well taken care of. So I just really, really love what I do and I'm so happy and grateful to be in the position that I am today, realizing the privilege that it is, the honor that it is. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, I do have to be honest, I was not always this type of provider or doctor where I understood how much that women should be at the center of their birth experience. I have a very clear understanding of that now, but I wasn't always that way. As a matter of fact, I remember a time when I would roll my eyes at birth plans. Um, I would the running joke, you know, it's an express ticket to the OR anytime somebody has a birth plan. And kind of thinking about why did I feel that way? Where did those thoughts come up? And really, I think it just comes back to OBGYN and the specialty and how it's founded and the way things are taught and perpetuated. OBGYN is a specialty that is truly founded on patriarchy and paternalism, hands down. When you go all the way back to Jamie Arian Sims, who the, who's the father, considered the father of modern gynecology, he invented the speculum. He has like statues of him in certain places in America. He did horrific experiments on slaves in order to, you know, in the name of science and medicine, denying them pain medicine, saying they didn't experience pain. If you look it up, you can read more about all of the details. But even closer to today, back in the 40s, 50s, where women were strapped down during labor, They were tied to beds. They were given cocktails of medications without any real consent to make them not be present during that experience. And even today, we don't have that lingering sense of strapping women down, but we do still certainly have this this culture that we are in control of birth and not the woman being at the center of her birth, even using terms like allow in the hospital. We don't allow you to get up. We don't allow you to eat as if somehow we have control over what you do in your bodies. Like that control is sort of assumed. So that's kind of the system that I was a part of and have been a part of and embarrassed to say that I've participated in in some ways. But as a friend of mine needs to say, one of the friends that I was talking about earlier, who's part of that Duke female OBGYN group, our field needs a mass deprogramming process for sure to get rid of and back away from that patriarchy and paternalism. Now, when I thought about like, what was the defining moment for me? Like, was there something that caused me to really change. And I can't really say that there's a specific defining moment that made me realize how what we were doing was wrong. I think it just came with over time as I worked on myself as a person 
as I did things like meditation, as I read personal development books, worked on my spirituality, I just came to look at things in my life in a little bit more critical way. And I just have evolved over time in a good way to an understanding that we can and need to do better for women during pregnancy and birth. One thing I do think that helps is that I do have a a strong, natural, innate sense of empathy. Uh, I remember watching Super Soul Sunday, one Sunday with um, Tara Westover. She's the author of the book Educated, New York Times bestseller. I haven't read it yet. But um, anyway, she was talking about how it was hard to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And I have to say that that is not hard for me. That's actually something that comes fairly easy for me is that I can stop for a minute for a minute and look at another person's perspective. So I think that that has played a big role in helping me understand and appreciate women's experiences during pregnancy and birth. Also, of course, my own experience having a preterm birth, that certainly had something to do with it. And again, just like I said, over time growing and working on myself as a person and being able to just expand and and grow and evolve in a good way. So what is next for me? Where am I going now that I have the podcast going and the course going? Well, I'm definitely interested in figuring out how I can help with that deprogramming process. Like I said, that needs to happen from within our specialty and being a physician champion for making changes in our specialty, how we need to put women at the center of their birth experience. I'm also very interested in issues of consent, but I'm talking about consent for some of those smaller, more common things that actually probably have a bigger impact on women's experience during birth. I'm talking about consent for something like cervical exams. I have countless times gone into a room, very pleasant, very friendly. Hey, I'm Dr. Rankins. I'm just here to check your cervix. We can see what's going on with your progress. Go ahead and put your ankles together. Let your legs flop out. Um, Try to relax. You're going to feel my two fingers. And never once in that conversation did I just stop and say, is it okay if I check you? Okay. You see what I'm saying? You see that difference? That little difference is important and it helps to create a better relationship and help put women at ease. And of course we should be asking before we stick our fingers in anybody's vagina. But I can tell you that that sort of stop and ask before we do this thing is not a normal part of OBGYN. And again, it goes back to that patriarchy and paternalism. Of course, consent for things like breaking water, stripping membranes, that doesn't always happen. And that's something that should absolutely happen. I know that culture change is hard. It's also complicated. And we need to do some things from within our specialty to make it easier for physicians to put women at the center of their birth. We need to work on some things like Physicians having better work-life balance, where they aren't being pushed to see more patients, less time, where they aren't being asked to add like 15 things in the electronic medical record, where they aren't asked to be in work these super long hours and do all of these kinds of things that can lead to what's called compassion fatigue and just not being able to have anything to give of themselves because they're so exhausted from the day-to-day things of, of work. So those are areas that I'm interested in from within our specialty and trying to figure out what I can do to help make change and do that deprogramming that we so desperately need. And then some other new things that I'm super excited to share with you that I have in the works is that I'm going to start offering a service where I will personally review your birth plan And then we'll have a 30 minute Skype call or phone call about it. So I'm super excited to start offering that service. And um, that's going to be a limited availability. So if it's something you're interested in and you want to know about it right away, then hop on my email list because that'll be the first place that I announce where it happens. And if you want to get on my email list, you can go to ncrcoaching.com forward slash email. The other service that I'm going to offer is I'm going to start offering one page downloadable PDF summaries of each episode. This will be way more than what's in the show notes. And then of course, not quite so much as in the 20 something page 
transcripts that are available. So this will just be a one page summary of all the key points in the episode, as well as links to any pertinent resources. And I'll add comments about questions you can ask your doctor about this particular topic if you need to. I think these will be great if you're a person who likes to print out stuff and have it there and a resource to go back to. And it's also, I think, great for the doulas or childbirth educators for you to have some additional information to have in your tool bag to have that available for you. So again, these one page downloadable PDF summaries of the episodes with all the pertinent information, links and additional questions to ask. So I will be offering that service again soon and hop on my email list to be notified when those are available. Okay, so that is it for this episode. Thank you for hanging in there with me as I shared my story. It always feels a little bit uncomfortable talking about myself in so much detail. So thank you for the support and the kind, warm and welcoming place to do so. Come join me in the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast community on Facebook to continue the conversation. Let me know what you think. Were you surprised about anything? What you found interesting? I always always love hearing from you or DM me on Instagram. Just um, give me a shout out and let me know. Now, of course, if you are not subscribed to the podcast, then please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel so inclined, then go ahead and leave that honest review, especially in iTunes. It helps other women find the show and I may give you a shout out on a future episode. Now, next week on the podcast, it's a birth story episode and Jordan is going to share her story of having a vaginal delivery. She was very happy with her experience but there are a couple of surprising things that I was a little bit surprised about myself. Her story is not exactly typical I would say so come on back next week to hear that and until then I wish you a healthy and happy pregnancy and birth. Today's episode is brought to you by Women's Wellness Coaching by Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins. Head to ncrcoaching.com to check out my free one-hour mini course on how to make your birth plan, as well as my comprehensive online childbirth education class, the Birth Preparation Course. With over eight hours of content and a private course community, the Birth Preparation Course will leave you knowledgeable, prepared, confident, and empowered going into your birth. Head to ncrcoaching.com to learn more. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.